0: and welcome to this week's episode of Attendance Bias. I am your host, Brian Weinstein. My guests this week are JW and Skinny from the Stub Me Down Fish podcast. It seems that since the pandemic got serious in March, Lots and lots of fish podcasts have popped up, including this one. One of the better ones that I heard is called Stub Me Down, in which our two guests today literally reach their hands into a big pile of ticket stubs, pull one out from their collection, and use it as a jumping off point to discuss that show, stories, music, and their friendship. I immediately thought that we were of a like mind and wanted to have them on attendance bias. J.W. and Skinny chose to discuss Fish's show from July 3rd, 2000 at the E! Center in Camden. I only saw one show in 2000, so I was eager to hear all about their podcast, Fish's Evolving Sound at the time, and how to receive a 30-minute runaway gym in real time. So cross the Ben Franklin Bridge, watch out around the bathrooms in Camden, and enjoy the digital delay loop forever, as J.W., Skinny, and I talk about Fish in Camden on July 3rd, 2000. jw skinny from stub me down thank you for being here how are you guys doing today i'm
1: all right man how are you it's good to be here
2: i'm good man thanks a lot for having us on uh i've been checking out a bunch of attendance bias episodes shows that i was at of course um because we all have a little bit of attendance bias when we uh review the shows that you know the i was there us, but Really love the show and very, very excited to be a part of it. Thanks for having us on, man.
0: Oh, my pleasure. And that's the whole point, right? That's the whole point. You always want to talk about the shows that you were at before you talk about the ones you weren't at. Today, we're talking about July 3rd, 2000. As friends, you had to agree on a show. So can I ask just to get started before we get to know
1: each of you, why did you two agree to pick this show? Well, I'll take that one, I guess. This was my first experience with fish. This tour, We were thinking about doing the first night that I went and saw fish. Um, This run is unbelievable. So we decided on this one. I think kind of we looked at the set list, too, and and we're like, oh, it's it's something that we should really do. And the re-listen back is what's great about it. So I knew it was going to be a lot of fun talking about it. And then we started talking about the memories of the things that we did, um, some hilariousness. And uh, that's what I am. I right about that, Josh? (laughs) Yeah, I. I ask
2: him. <laughs> yeah, I would agree with all of that. We thought this was a fun two-night event for Skinny and me back in 2000, and this was, as he said, our really our first time on the road together. But this show, seven three, is a little bit lesser known compared to the July fourth, 2000 show, which uh, a good really all I think of the second set has been released through various official band releases this show probably if anybody knows anything about it would talk about the bathtub gin because of the rainstorm and stuff like that but there was a lot of other great music here we've seen i can't tell you how many times we've gone to camden or somewhere in the philly area being only two hours from from philly down here in maryland to to be able to shoot up go to Philly, catch, you know, shows in Camden. I started seeing shows when I was in high school in uh, at Camden. So this one felt good, and there were some stories around it. And I'm glad you brought up where you
0: grew up. Uh, you said around the Philly area, both of you guys. So let's go back before we get to 2000. Let's go back a little while earlier. JW, you're from central New Jersey. You said kind of near the shore. And Skinny, you're near Baltimore. or you grew up in baltimore now you still kind of live in the area so kind of mid-atlantic for both of you guys
1: well, josh go ahead you're the jersey boy i mean they're more important <laughs> they're closer to new york and philly than we are so that's right don't forget uh, it either yeah right we're just uh, everybody's little brother so i'll let him go on this one first go ahead josh
2: well, I'm, I am, I will begin by saying that central Jersey does exist and I'm from there. Uh, no, I grew up on the Jersey shore, uh, like a mile from the beach in in Monmouth County. And, um, I moved down to Baltimore in 1995 to go to college. I went to Loyola, um, in Baltimore. And after I graduated, I stuck around and, um, I wasn't ready to venture out into the real world yet. I was still having a lot of fun and needed some flexibility in a schedule. So I ended up waiting tables at a restaurant called Jay Paul's down in uh, downtown Baltimore in the Inner Harbor down there. If you've ever been there, it's, you know, the touristy spot that was in 1999, summer of 99. And I met skinny that summer and, and, um, 20 years later, I'm still upside down.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And skinny, so you're from the Baltimore area to begin with. I mean, I, you know, hopped around a little bit with my mother after my parents divorced or whatever, but still stayed in that Towson-esque area. And then we moved down into the city, actually, my freshman year of high school, but I was lucky and privileged enough to go to, you know, really fine schools, even though I got kicked out of one of them. Uh, But, uh, you know, and right now, you know, I teach uh, at my alma mater. So that's really cool. So I've always been homegrown. But what it's great about Maryland is the mountains, the shore, you know, the upper East Coast, Florida is two hours away. I mean, you can pretty much go anywhere. So it's been home to me. If you guys met
0: in 1999, let me ask you a little bit. Before that then, how you each first got into fish. Skinny, how did you first come around? Well,
1: I, I got into it through Josh. Uh, oh, so okay. I, I was a grateful deadhead. But after Jerry died, you know, that was 95, August of 95. I was I was done. You know, the, I didn't see really maybe a couple concerts here and there, nothing memorable. Um, I did actually, I would say memorable. I worked as a backstage hand for a local radio station, WHFS, and did like, you know, backstage, just like a mule, you know, loading in and loading out gear. And then I always played music. I played percussion. I was kind of okay. You know, played around in a bunch of bands in fells point and had some musician friends. So, you know, I did that and worked. Um, but I I certainly wasn't into the concert going game and Josh came into my life and we, we were hanging out like-minded people, love good music. And, we started talking about it and he was basically in his car and said, you should check these guys out. And I I really think it was like a bounce in those melodies and it wasn't, (laughs) it was a, it was a live version of it. And I was like, wow, they're really professional how they catch those melodies uh, towards the end of the song. um, When everybody's singing a different row, 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 your boat voice, Yeah, you know, that, that, that tempo. And I just thought that was interesting. And then of course, you know, uh, got into the rest of the catalog and he, you know, he turned me on to it. We started thumping it, basically.
2: You know, Brian, it's interesting. <laughs> my my musical interest arc, I've really started to listen to really what provided the base of my musical interest today probably around sophomore junior year in high school and it was the who it was led zeppelin it was van halen you know i liked some heavy guitar um you know i liked some of those like epic songs stairway to heaven and dazed and confused i loved all of that and um being a you know coming of age in the early 90s um (laughs) there was the CD clubs that you could buy 10 CDs for a penny. And then you had to buy one CD a month for full price for the next 16 months or whatever. And you could, you know, you could join two or three CD clubs at once and get like 30 or 40 CDs sent. So I was doing that probably, you know, 94, 95. And one of the albums that I got was hoist and, You know, I had heard a little bit about the Grateful Dead, but I was still kind of in that, um, you know, 70s and early 80s mindset as far as my rock and roll. I hadn't really evolved into the, you know, I knew like Truckin and and Casey Jones, you know, that was about it. Skeletons Um, in the
0: Closet was next to Hoist
2: on the (laughs) Columbia House catalog. (laughs) Pretty much, pretty much. And so I listened to Hoist and I thought it was awful. (laughs) I, I couldn't believe it. I was like, what, what are these guys singing about? What are these melodies? Uh, I hated Julius, which is a song I now like, um, you know, fist pumping and raging when Julius comes on, um, down with disease, you know, interestingly that there's a disease, you know, in, in the show we're chatting about today, but like, I, I, hated hoist. And I was like, this is garbage. I'm never going to listen to this again. And I went to college. I was listening. Then I started listening. One of my roommates listened to the Grateful Dead. So I really started to get into the Grateful Dead a little bit and that scene and Jerry Garcia band and the Allman brothers. And I really started to branch into that. And then, um, I met this chick in college, and we dated. And she was a big fish fan. And we had some stupid bet about something that was, you know, if she lost, I would take her to a Three Eleven concert because I was like hardcore Three Eleven at the time. And if I lost the bet, she would take me to a fish show. And I lost. And <laughs> what show I, was I, that? So the show that I ended up going to, my first one, was August eighth, nineteen ninety eight, at Merryweather which is a very well-regarded show. I mean, I didn't know shit. I didn't know anything about... I I, I knew Hoist and thought it was terrible, but from the opening notes of The Wedge through the cover of Sabotage that they did for the encore, I was enthralled, and, and then that was it. So, Skinny, if you guys met each other in 99...
0: Uh, but you were first getting into fish from JW. When did you
1: first see them live? Well, first of all, let, I'll just tell you this story. So he had tickets to this run. We had, we had seen like red hot chili peppers and Foo Fighters, Foo Fighters, by the way, were, they blew him out of the by water. Far. I saw
0: that tour Jones beach. Uh,
1: yeah. Yeah. Really ridiculous. We saw it inside at the civic arena in Baltimore, which is like a small little field house, basically comparative to like big arenas. And, that Foo Fighters blew him out of the water. Anyway, then we saw Phil and Friends that that April. Anyway, it comes to him. He he basically tells me, "Look, man, I I want to do this run of shows at summer tour. It's fish. You should come and see them." And I, I was all in. I you know I figured this would be cool. He had family that li- you know his parents lived in New Jersey. It was so close to the venue, and like it was like a it was a can't miss. We're right by New York, so we were going to do those two shows and then. At home in Baltimore, there's this thing called OpSail, like Operation Sail, where all these sailboats from all over the world came in. I mean, it was craziness. Like, the harbor was just packed. And and we worked right be- after the Holmdel shows and right before July 3rd and 4th, we worked and we made so much money to, to be able to have a good time. And then, you know, went up to Camden. And like I said, well, I, I want to save that story, uh, you know, for where we stayed. But you know, we had places to stay, we, you know, we had summer to live. And so uh, I i was hooked immediately, not only by what I remembered about The Grateful Dead and going to that scene, but also, uh, you know, just that joy, but also the music.
0: So let's move on to Stub Me Down, the podcast that the two of you co host What is in a sentence or two, if you had to boil it down to an elevator pitch, what is the show's premise?
2: So really the premise is we randomly select a ticket stub from the stack of tickets that we've collected over the years and use that show as a jumping off point to talk about our 20 year friendship, the music, the scene um, and kind of revisit some monumental occasions of our lives where we kind of were overall and when did you guys start it
1: well i think we started really getting the ball rolling trying out some things we had some major technical difficulties that were related to miller lights and not the intention <laughs> of what we were doing and that that's quarantined for you but we um we figured it out and, and we paid attention. And then I I think it's just like, all right, let's record this thing. Um, and I'm really happy with the progression we've maintained too. And, and we've really made some great connections in a time where you can't make any connections at all, really. I mean, you can, but it's really your people. I mean, that's, I gotta say, like, it's so interesting to talk to someone like yourself about this stuff, because it's just me and Josh talking about it. Well I, mean? well,
0: I yeah. wanted to ask you, I wanted to hang on that idea for a little bit, because that's part of the reason that I started this podcast, that I felt this connection or this desire to connect, this desire to reach out that I needed to hear stories from other people and occasionally share stories of my own. What do you think that it's about? Do you think it's just something in the air that you guys decided to start a podcast? There's a website called tour stories that is more of a show review, but same basic idea, uh, where people just want to, like Tom Marshall started Undermined recently, where there's this collective, I don't know, atmosphere that people just want to give and receive information about, if not fish, about live music in general.
2: Uh, I mean, did you even do anything during quarantine if you didn't start a podcast, you know? Uh, but no, I mean, on a serious note, though, Brian, I mean... I, I I think the the desire to fill the void with something that's kind of close is really w- where this comes from. And, I mean, Skinny and I can talk about music. I, I mean, we do anyway. Oh, did you hear this? Check out, you know, this version of whatever. You know, we've gone back and forth over the time of our friendship, you know, when we were first friends I had, you know, a CD burner and I would burn him copies of all of the shows that we went to, Um, you know, and then we would we would talk about them afterwards or, you know, how good or crappy the the copy that I had gotten was, you know, maybe the blanks and postage guy didn't uh, come through as good as I'd hoped. He said
0: B minus quality. This is not higher than a C. B minus quality.
2: That's funny. Um, But the, the. Right, and I'm a you know, I'm a sucker for a good odd, too, but um, I digress. But I think that that need to connect in some way, and I look at it as some of these conversations are like if we had pulled up next to you and we were setting up in the parking lot and you were, you know, there twenty minutes ahead of time, and we became friends that way and, you know, or we ended up on the lawn next to each other and, and you're having a lot of these same conversations. Um, but, you know, skinny and I also have a, you know, a little bit of a kind of a philosophical way that we want to look at some of this stuff too. And, and, you know, what does it really, you know, what does it mean to, to you? What does it mean to you as a, a person? Why have we spent, years chasing jams and spending thousands of dollars to do it. And, um, you know, what, what is it about this experience that is so addictive? Um, you know, like we talked about at the, at the top skinny has got a really good way of, of putting it, um, you know, with the philosophical side.
1: Yeah, I would just add to that. You said it beautifully, my man. Why Don't sell yourself short. You're, <laughs> an, you're an incredible slouch. Uh, I, you know, I, I just put it in this way that it's like, I, I guess, everybody has a connection to something. I'm starting to think that maybe the answer to the question, which might be relatively easy, is just a love of something. And then, you know, missing that one part. We, yes, I love when the lights go down and those lights come at my face and the music starts. But I also love that community around uh, myself and my wife now and, you know, my friends. And I definitely miss that, too. So we're trying to figure out what that is.
0: Before we get to the show, though, I wanted to ask where can people or listeners find Stub Me Down online,
1: um, podcast apps, social media? I mean, wherever you get your podcasts, that's why it's so funny. I'm like Josh, do we need to say that all the time? And he's like,
2: yeah, we do. I <laughs> so do. Yeah, yeah, you do. <laughs> yeah, like we're on. Apple, we're on all Spotify, the yeah yeah all the main podcast platforms. Um, we're on Twitter at stub underscore me underscore down, uh, and we also have an Instagram account at the same address stub underscore me underscore down. Um, and Podbean hosts our podcast, so if you're a Podbean. Listener, you can use their app. uh, we're, We're there, too.
0: Before we even get into July 3rd, let's talk about the summer of 2000 as a whole. Fish started the summer tour in 2000 with seven shows in Japan, including the very famous Fukuoka show on June 14th. After that early start in the summer, they played 20 shows for the U.S. summer tour. They played... In Antioch, Tennessee, they played in Lakewood, Georgia, Walnut Creek. They played on Letterman for Back on the Train, I suppose, to promote Farmhouse, the album. They played these two shows at Holmdel, two nights at Hartford, back to New Jersey in Camden. I'm sorry, not Homedale in Camden for today's show. Uh, Then they played Toronto, Burgettstown, Alpine Valley, Deer Creek, Polaris, Columbus. They played all over the place this summer. It seems like that I'm ticking off these locations and these venues where were you guys in the summer of 2000 leading up to this?
1: I was going on 30. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, I had a supplemental restaurant job like we talked about, and that's where I met J-Dub. And then I had a, another job where I was working with uh, children with disabilities in Baltimore, like as a one-to-one. And then, you know, you slowly moved up the ladder a little bit before I figured out what I was really going to do, which then I still wound up in education. So I had free time on my hands too, because I just had to manipulate my schedule with the restaurant who it happened that was a huge deadhead and was a really good friend of mine. I would get time off, but I would work really hard too. And on the busiest nights of the restaurant. So I, I had it pretty good. I wasn't, wealthy by any stretch of the imagination, lived in the city and was kind of hitting the bricks all the time it was my transportation. So that's where I was. It was I, I was still having a lot of fun though. And then of course I, I was I was in for 20 more years of that when I met Josh and and uh yeah that's where I was it was a great time. j Jay Dubbs,
0: where were you in the summer of 2000?
2: So I was just about a year out of college. Um was working with christian at this restaurant jay paul's and we did we 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 traded off time for taking the big shifts and the bigger responsibility at the restaurant with um the manager joe who as as skinny said was a, a started off friend of his and um is a a was he's he's since passed away but um great friend of mine as well so and he always busted our balls about like fish um especially after christian was like ah you know what you should probably check him out he's you know he's this nah i'm a grateful dead head and i'll never there ain't no <laughs> ph in my pond was what he kept saying exactly like uh, that. and uh but he would Say, all right, you guys are gonna work, you know, two doubles back to back and then go have fun for three days, especially with one of them being fourth of July, when you know he would usually be like, Nah, you're not getting off. It's the busiest day. Right, especially in the in harbor, the right? Right. So we we you know, we pulled our weight and and he would he would let us go. The girl I was with that, that relationship ended, and I had already bought summer tour tickets. So I had two tickets to these four shows and you know, at that time, I didn't really have a show crew. You know, not for this kind of music. I had friends that I would go see Buffett or Three Eleven with, but none of my friends from college, you know, none of my immediate crew was into Fish, and so it was either go solo, which I at that point was fully intending on doing, or Christian and I had a a, a shared interest in um, some music. Leading up to that, we had gone to the couple shows that Christian mentioned, and. Um, just from us hanging out and like rolling around in my car where I'm playing fish. He was like, these guys are pretty good. And I was like, I got tickets to four shows. You want to go? I'll drive. I got us a place to stay. You know, all you got to do is, you know, pack a bag and uh, you know, kick in for some gas money and and some parking lot beers. I didn't see
0: any shows this summer, any fish shows this summer. I saw, um, I saw one show in 2000 at Darien Lake but I don't know if that was the summer tour or that was technically the fall tour. It was September 14th. So according to the calendar, it's a summer, but according to fish, I think it was a fall tour. And I always think when I uh, think of 2000 fish, I have heard almost nothing from this year, almost nothing. And I think a big part of that is the audience recordings from this year are generally not so great in my, from my memory, Uh, they were playing, Ever expanding venues, or at least if they were playing the same venues they were in, let's say, 97, those venues were getting more and more full. And there were larger crowds and there were more chatty crowds than there were back in the mid to early, late 90s, if that's a phrase. You know, it's so the, the recordings didn't come out as well. I feel like in a lot of 2000 recordings, you just can't hear Paige. Fishman, you can hear a lot of his cymbal work. And they would also do a lot of drones, a lot of um like ambient soundscapes. And so a lot of that paired with very big venues and chatty crowds, you know, wherever the, the recording equipment was at the time from the audience is nowhere near where it is today. But it it led to not such great tapes. I remember one from Polaris that I put on my tape deck, and when I hit play, I'm like, I can't even hear the band what's going on right now. I could barely make out one song.
1: I I mean, I would just say it was for those four shows that I saw in the summer. I thought about this today. I was like, I have to think of an analogy. It was like these ferocious summer crescendos, like these, the gin at home Dell, they were, they were just driving at home. I, I thought everything was really good. I was hooked immediately. I've talked about that too, you know, on our show. I, I, I knew it. I danced my ass off those shows. I knew I was definitely into it then. I'm a huge dancer. I don't know how good I look. I probably look like a funky chicken or something, but six, two white guy splayed out. Stop, stop
0: selling yourself short. You have a lot to offer,
1: (laughs) but you know, I don't care. You know, I don't care if the whole world's looking at me when I feel that way. um, You know, I'm going to run with it. And, and I did, I mean, they were, they were great. I do remember the craziness too, of like getting in, which I found strange. Either I was separated from it for a while and I, I I didn't remember it, but then it kind of brought back like being at the cap center for spring tour, like in the in the spring of ninety with the Dead or or ninety one, and those like uh, when they would play like St. Paddy's Day runs, which was just immensely crazy. And there's cops on horses, and there's people everywhere, and they're trying to get in. And there's no tickets.
2: As far as where the band was in, in summer 2000, I saw, we saw these four shows and then I saw two at the end of, if you want to call it summer, I saw Meriwether and I saw, and we were both at Hershey together um, in 2000. And those were six really good shows. They were, and... Of course, I have an attendance bias, but um, I objectively the fact that a lot of what um, they played on the fourth has been released, um, I think, speaks to the band's view of that. Um, that Hershey show, I think, is a, another kind of under the radar show that's really a very strong show, you know, And and same with the PNC shows. So I know that they had. This high of Big Cypress, and there's bound to be a little bit of a letdown, I think. Um, I think because of Big Cypress, that had driven their popularity more in the summer of 2000. I remember that like, man, there's a lot more people here than even last year because of Big Cypress and because they had done this monumental thing, and now there were a lot of other people that wanted to get on the bus too. So let's get right
0: into this show. They open set one with "Down with Disease," that and this this version, at least the first couple of minutes of it. I mean, this is in supersonic speed. This reminded me it could have been nineteen ninety four. This is a really rocking "Down with Disease." It's really thrilling. Like M- Machine Gun Tray makes a very early appearance
2: in this show. That lawn at Camden. When the band gets going and plays something like this, especially the you know the first song of a two night run, it is just a dance party, and the entire lawn was just ridiculously packed. Um, both of these nights, I re- I do remember, you know, and I'd been to some Camden shows, not for Fish but for other bands, and I had never seen a crowd that big um, at any pavilion type concert and everybody was just you know amped up the disease is a really nice one you know almost 11 minutes to start mm-hmm. off um and really was just a very consistent groove too they 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 came out swinging I think with that version
1: so like everybody is incredibly ecstatic on the lawn because that's like a heavy hitter coming out it's like your number four hitter leading off who you know is just going to hit a home run. And, you know, if we tell a joke because I think I hear disease now, like at every show. <laughs> so <laughs> I can be very critical of it. I won't be about this one. This is a really good one.
0: Yeah, it's it's really, really fast. And there's parts where around eight and a half minutes, Fishman, my favorite band is The Who, other than Fish. And it's he's Keith Moon. He's been replaced by Keith Moon for this incredible fill that dives right back into the coda. They're, they play ahead of themselves at, at some points where it's like they're right on the edge of losing the rhythm and losing each other, but they never, ever do. And by the time it's over, you need a cigarette. <laughs> followed up with Guilla Papyrus, which is a great follow-up, kind of that reggae vibe to kind of let everyone catch their breath a little bit, get some... chill time in and then my mind's got a mind of its own which is if that's the breather of the show so far the first three you know like open with a banger pump it up with a great follow-up and then take a breather this is a great opening trio it's like a perfect perfect map a perfect energy map and then they for the four hole they got foam which is a song that was almost completely ignored
1: toward the end of 1.0 and almost all of 2.0 sometimes because I was a complete noob had no idea like what I was hearing. so like right I mean take foam for instance it's not it's not one of my favorites. Foam is definitely it sounds like it's gonna be the wedge I think sometimes and then it's not because it has a little bit of like tom-tom in the beginning of it and it's just maybe I can't take that much dissonance back then now I can kind of I, I see where they maybe going or where I want them to go. I got to learn that catalog when you're just listening. So sometimes it takes listening. Sometimes you get distracted by the crowd. I'll say that the papyrus was really good for me because it's got a slinky groove to it. So I can kind of hook into it where as something like foam, maybe not in the middle of the jam. Although I, I was saying, I know I'm jumping ahead of here, like but six minutes into that jam on the re and I'm like, oh, I really love that. <laughs> because it's a long time from then where at first i i don't have the capacity to to really understand where they're going and it becomes confusing so you just have to listen and then again i'm not dancing so then i'm like i don't really like this one (laughs) i just started to get into a song i heard the ocean sing last year right to me
0: that's still a new song
1: Right. Yeah. You know, I mean, <laughs> they debuted it in 2004. I mean, we could think of probably, you know, a, a list of 10 that we both talk about, Josh and I, that, you know, I don't, I don't really like it, but then I'm sure I'll find a version
2: that I'm like, actually, that was really good. They play Gaiula Papyrus. I just laugh because I always pronounce it wrong. And to this day, <laughs> I, I think I you never, just did. <laughs> I just did. I always do. And I can tell you this, Brian, I've been keeping the set. I'm a set book nerd. And, you know, probably since 99, I started writing down songs and I've got stacks and stacks of old set books. I have never, ever spelled that song correctly <laughs> in my set book. They follow up foam with
0: bathtub gin. And my first thought when I saw, I was listening to this, um, I was sitting on my couch with on my headphones. And when I saw the the playlist flip to, fo- the, to bathtub gin, I thought, ah. So this is what I've heard so much about. Before I say anything about it, I think I have a feeling you guys have a lot to say about this this bathtub gin.
2: This bathtub gin to me is like, I, I talked about this this concept of the band and the the audience being a circle. We'll take that circle and now add in this storm that comes up the river. Yeah, Dad right? so, mentions that there was a thunderstorm during it. So we're standing on the lawn, and we were deep i mean we were deep in the middle of the lawn like not towards the back we were like i mean if you like did a drone from the top we were like right in the center of the lawn and so you you keep looking over your shoulder and you can just see this weather coming during the beginning of the set and so when the bathtub gin starts like it's just kind of sprinkling a little bit and then it starts to rain And then it starts to pour and then it starts to thunder and lightning. And meanwhile, the band is feeding off of the storm, the intensity of the rain, the thunder and the lightning. The crowd is whooping it up every time there's a big bolt of lightning or thunder. The band is feeling that and it just becomes this whirlwind of energy that the band like takes and puts into the music and the the speed of the jam the tempo of the jam is totally matched to the storm and that is the one thing that to this day you know I don't remember the you know the specifics about a lot of this show cuz it was you know that long ago but I remember that feeling and standing there in this torrential downpour the crowd ecstatic and the band taking all of it and turning it into the jam that was this bathtub jam.
1: It's just too wet man so i went down to the cavernous you know uh bathrooms and, and literally saw a guy sleeping with his mouth open on a toilet i'm still to this day worried about that guy like i i, I hope if you're out there brother if that was you man I yeah,
0: okay. he doesn't need a vaccine for coronavirus his immune system if he's alive he's got nothing to worry like, about
2: he's probably it's, got 10 kids but By the time the squall had been finished, like the band wound down this version, they brought it to a natural conclusion. It wasn't like they ripcorded out of the jam or anything like that. And, you know, even brought it back around to, you know, the traditional.
0: Yeah, they returned um, it to the song. Yeah. And after Bathtub Gin, which was, I think, I think could be universally agreed as the highlight of the first set. I think musically, it sounds like experientially, That was the big peak of it. They follow that up with My Soul and Heavy Things, which to me just screams 2000 or 99-2000. They were both perfectly passable. And then toward the end of the set, we're already there. They played Fluffhead, which was one of the last times that it would be played until uh, 3.0 because they skipped it entirely for 2.0. And it kind of signals that the set is over, but it isn't because they followed that up with when the circus comes to town and they close it with Antelope, with Tom Marshall. The
2: end of this set was really very, very good. Fluffhead, to me, this was only my second Fluffhead. I, I feel like it still has this, no matter how many times you maybe have seen a Fluffhead, it still has this bust out feel to it, you know, because there have been, you know, these times where they didn't play it. And, um, that feeling you can hear the crowd express, you know, pretty much every time they play it. And to, to do that, then the circus comes to town and then antelope. I thought it was just after the bathtub gin, it was super, it, for me, it was gravy, but it was beautiful. I, I couldn't believe that th- those were the the last three songs. You know, Fluffhead Antelope. That you know, that's going to be pretty good to for a first set. So going into set
0: two after Antelope, a really good Antelope closes set one. The first one is Runaway Jim, and when I was getting ready to listen to the song and take my notes as I do. I noticed the timing of this is 32 minutes and I've listened to your podcast stub me down a number of times. And you also, J dubs, you messaged me when we were going back and forth about what show to pick for this appearance. You've mentioned how you're such a huge fan of the Oswego runaway gym, which is I don't know if it's a half hour, but it's roughly around the thirty-minute 20, mark. Twenty-four
2: minutes, twenty-five okay. minutes, I think. It was meaty, yeah. I mean, uh, when you look at this particular version, um, and that and that runaway Jim from us, we go I think seven eighteen ninety-nine is. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's probably my. F- I haven't come across a version of, other than that one that. Um, you know, I would consider my absolute top. This one was a little bit different. I feel like it was kind of two different jams. There's the first part of it, and then they kind of drop it a little bit around the 15, 16 minute mark. Um, and they're kind of wandering around for a little bit. And there's almost a feeling like they might be done with this. They might be trying yeah. to figure out what to play. And then they decide, ah, fuck it, let's keep playing this. Yeah, and that happens keep... a couple times in this jam. That happens yeah. a few times. And well, it's,
0: I, I agree with you. I wrote at 1530 that Trey gets on his Wawa pedal and they're breaking down in a good way.
2: still so, even though i had seen you know plenty of fish shows this was my 15th or 16th show i'd seen some you know monumental stuff wrapping your head around a 30 minute jam was still something that I was always in awe of in early years, and to be standing next to Christian, who's at his third show, um, this was by far the longest jam he had seen up to this point. And I'm—I don't remember specifically, but I do remember in general those first four shows. I spent a lot of time like hitting him on the arm and like going like, "Huh? Didn't I tell you? Didn't I tell you?" And this right. felt—this felt like. Um, you know, one of those, those types of gems. And I've really enjoyed going back and listening to this runaway because quite frankly, it, it had been off my radar. I mean, you know, this 15 minute Mark breakdown of, of this gym, I, I think I, I'm
1: just trying to be as interested as possible to see like where it's going to go. You know, that loop effect that they used to do back in 99 and 2000, 2000
2: was heavily used all the show. time, all the time. I love uh, it love the loop i love Love the the loop loop i like trey runs the loop for like 15 minutes in this jam yeah (laughs) Yeah. love it so i love the loop too i like the loop a lot
1: better than woos so let's bring the loop back (laughs) but i i think it's interesting because as a fan i don't really know what's going on i am trying to learn i guess what you would call the patient ear you know but Mm -hmm. it's completely new to me so Uh, You know, I'm sure I was in a trance trying to, like, uh, find a groove to it and and just be patient with it. You know, I don't think the fans around me were probably much different, although if they had seen a bunch of shows before me, they were probably on cloud nine. Now, if I heard a 30 minute gym like this today... I mean, I'd be, that's the first thing I'd say
2: out of the show. How about that, June?
0: Once it's over, they followed up with Glide. Yeah, this was my
2: first Glide, <laughs> too. So I think, I mean, obviously, it was your first Glide, too, Christian. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah,
1: I was just going to say, we've heard a Glide after a big rainstorm in Philly at The Man in 2000. Oh, I was there, yeah. And, yeah, and it's like, I always... Again, going back to their oddities, I always felt like they were kind of speaking to the crowd, whether it was about the jam that just happened previous or whether you almost got electrocuted. You know, they were happy that you were there and you're having a good time, (laughs) you know, so I I love when they do that kind of stuff. It just makes me uh, feel happy, man. It's joy.
0: After Glide was Theme from the Bottom, which I thought was an awesome choice to get things going again uh, with a lot of, you know, hazy lyrics and opportunities for feedback and swirly sounds that the band excelled in in this era. So perfect placement for Theme from the Bottom and then Sand, which was big in 99
1: and 2000, right? I know Josh really loves this song. And I just had heard we had heard an incredible version of this uh, the second night of Holmdel. I know I keep, I'm not comparing everyone. I'm just, (laughs) I'm just saying, and this, this version held the same type of value as the one I just heard. So I'm seeing second versions now, you know, at my third show and I'm, I, 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 the claws were, and the talons were definitely sunk in and I was being carried away by fish. There's no doubt about it.
2: This is probably My favorite part of this whole show was the theme into sand. I think theme from the bottom is a a great exemplar song for what fish is. I mean, literally and figuratively, it can be an anthem rocker. There's plenty of room if they want to get spacey or, or go type two. Um, it's a sing along. Um, and then to, drop into sand which as skinny mentioned is my favorite fish song hands down i've never met a sand i didn't like Mm -hmm. sand is an interesting tune because it really kind of exists in two formats and there's the format that you you know if you've if you've seen stand in the last that's probably four or five years it looks one specific way you're going to get about a 9 to maybe 12 minute jam um in the first set. Of, in the, right well maybe you mean they might sneak it somewhere you know early on in a second set but you know it for the most part it, it's it's pretty straightforward um and this version has a little bit of that for the first part of, or excuse me, for the second part of the jam, I feel like this sand actually kind of melds the two versions of what sand has been with the first part being more of the modern sand. And then the second part, probably at about seven minutes is that more ambient trance like repetitive not quite type two, but like they're standing, like type two door is open and they're just standing in the doorway. This sand also features a stop-start jam. Yeah, which
0: I thought was unusual.
2: Skinny and I have a, a love affair with stop-start jams. And we did an episode where we talked about, it was called stop-start jam. The stop-start jam in this sand is just dirty dirty as hell. It is like you're just jamming and they and you're like, okay, that was really good. And then like 45 seconds later, they're back into yeah, it's it. It's a man.
0: long break.
2: Yeah, it's it's dope. And they and they keep that, you know. I think that sand has the hardest baseline in all of this catalog. Yeah. Um, I love the lyrics. I have a sand tattoo. Like I'm a I'm a sand stan. I know that's what the kids are saying these <laughs> days. So yeah, I mean
1: it, it's if you can't dance to Sandman, get out. Like, i you know, save that ticket for somebody else. Especially those, th- those two versions that I heard in 2000 were, were, were monsters. They reminded me like this is supposed to be fun. You know what I mean? There's always that serious tempo to people that go to concerts and what about this? And I, that doesn't sound right to my ear. And I'm like, I don't have time for all that. <laughs> Not, you know, watch out for my elbows is more, right. uh, like, you know, <laughs> so.
0: <laughs> After send. so they, we're rounding third base here to get to the end of the show. They played an insane version of Chalk Dust Torture uh, that Machine Gun tray shows up all over the place and you get the feeling that the this, this show is over or at least the set is over. But then they play a very odd choice for a closer. They play Bittersweet Motel. I was like, "Huh? Okay, all right." And then they close the whole show in encore again with an un an unorthodox, I guess I could say, choice. <laughs> 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 and and they play waste for the bro, encore. Bro, you're not so. you're not
2: into the 2000 waste encores, bro.
0: I am totally into the 2000 waste encores. I just don't know how it would have felt to be there at the time. I'm happy for all the couples.
2: You want to go? Go ahead first, Skinny. Yeah. I see you. Well, we
1: were kind of a couple. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but that, Not that there's anything wrong
1: with that. Now, I I would rather hear this in the middle of the set, and I, you you definitely could have ended with that chalk dust. I've seen them now. I think over the past 20 years, one thing we always remark on is that they're never going to do what you tell them to, Ever. meaning fish. Like, they should stop here. Nope, they'll play something completely that you didn't want to hear, or maybe it's not your favorites. The greatest part about them is they care, but they really don't care. You know what I mean? Like, I hope I get this. And they're like, yeah, we do too, but we're not playing it tonight. Hey, if so. you can't please everybody, you got to please yourself, right? Yeah, exactly. And, and, and quite frankly, that again is another nuance or oddity that I love about them, that they will never give you what you want, but what they give you is, is always amazing to me anyway.
2: Yeah. Uh, the, the end of this set uh, and after, after San, they actually had a little bit of a slowdown with meat, Oh, that's um, right that before that chalk dust meat is
0: for all the simpsons like fans it's a perfectly right. prominent yeah. song
2: <laughs> I, I like meat but it was you know it was a nice breather and then chalk dust is chalk dust is the fish tune that i've seen the most and I, i'll never get old i'll never it'll never get old for me it's a rocker um and i love that about there. This is, you know, my favorite rocker that they have because they just come in and they just blow the doors off the place. Um, The Bittersweet Motel is interesting because the placement I thought was weird. They also they closed the first set of the Hershey show with Bittersweet Motel in September when Christian and I went a couple of months after this show, which I also thought was weird. So it was like two weird placements out of six that we saw that year for, for bittersweet motel seemed a little bit odd. And then it, to come out and play waste, I, you know, I'm not, <laughs> if I had been there with the girl and, you know, maybe it's a little bit nice, but at that point, I think that they were, you know, they had another night to play and who knows, maybe they were up against curfew. I don't, I, I don't remember that specifically, but I do know that it, it didn't matter what they played. It, you know, after that, the, the gym, the runaway gym and the sand in that set, I, I was excited and, you know, couldn't wait to leave, to come back. All right.
0: So skinny J dubs, July 3rd, 2000 in Camden, To close it all up, let's remind everybody about your podcast. Your podcast is Stub Me Down, three words. And on Twitter, it's stub underscore me underscore down, right? And you're available on social media and anywhere people can find podcasts. That is correct. That's right. All right. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for joining me today on Attendance Bias to talk about July 3rd, 2000 in Camden. We've had a lot to say. We'll have a lot more to say, I'm sure, in the future. We'll have to talk about that Holmdel show because it seems like there's always a counterbalance from one right. to the other. Um, and just thank you for being here. I had a great time today.
1: We did, too, man. Thanks. So grateful and, and so happy to be on. And I uh, can't wait to talk to you again, Brian. Thank you so much.
0: Well, that's it for today's great conversation with Skinny and JW from the Stub Me Down podcast. Although we went through a lot of information through a lot of dates out there and references, we actually did not make too many mistakes, but there is a lot of information that could be referenced and expanded upon. So now it's time for the Attendance Bias Fact Check. Attendance Bias
2: Fact Check.
0: Throughout today's conversation, both Skinny and J.W. mentioned those four shows, and they compared the July 3rd show from today to Homedale. To clear all of that up, both guys were talking about four New Jersey shows that, that were played in the middle of the summer 2000 tour. First, they were talking about two Homedale shows that were played on June 28th and 29th. After a quick detour to Hartford, Connecticut, Fish then went back to southern New Jersey to play two shows at Camden. Today's show was the first of those two shows. So altogether, those were the four-show run that these guys were talking about. JW said that his first show was August eighth, nineteen 1998, at Meriwether Post Pavilion. That show was the first of two nights at MPP that year, and both shows are very outstanding. The 8th, J.W.'s first show, featured the band's debut of Sweet Jane and a very legendary Sabotage encore. The next night was the band's famed encore of Terrapin Station, and if you've never heard either of those shows, kindly pause this podcast and go listen to both of them. While J.W. was talking about the end of set one, you may have heard a dog barking in the background. That was my good boy, Duncan, making his first appearance on Attendance Bias. We spent a while comparing this show's Runaway Gym to the Oswego Runaway Gym. The Oswego Gym was played on July 18th, 1999, and it was about 25 minutes long. You can hear myself and my friend Dave discuss that whole show by listening to the episode of Attendance Bias from October 28th, 2020. And finally, the version of Glide that Christian mentions was played on July 9th, 2014 at The Man in Philadelphia, Glide opened the show after a huge summer rainstorm that forced the crowd to exit the amphitheater and then come back in after the storm passed. That's it for today's episode of Attendance Bias. I'd like to thank Christian and JW of the Stub Me Down podcast for joining me today. You can find Stub Me Down anywhere you find your podcasts. I'd also like to thank Fish.net for providing all the information we ever need and Fish.in for a great sounding recording of this show, especially for 2000. If you enjoy attendance bias, please support the show by leaving a rating and a review of the show on your favorite podcast app, or just spread the word. Tell one person today about the podcast, call them, text them, tell them, however you want to do it. Please spread the word. Thank you. And thank you again for listening. And I'll see you next week on attendance bias.